0: Welcome to a special edition of Harvest Series, where we embark on a fascinating journey through the essence of Buddhism with a brilliant scholar and popularizer of Buddhist wisdom, Robert Thurman. In this brief episode, we delve into the core concepts of Buddhism, Chakra, Buddha, Zen, Karma and Nirvana. Bob Thurman, an esteemed expert in the field as he held the first chair in Buddhist Studies in the West at Columbia University demystifies these terms offering profound insights accessible to all So a challenge for you Bob if you can tell me very briefly explain me some of the words that we're using in the West oh, yes. but maybe Not in an appropriate way. So, first one, chakra. chakra. We need to open
1: them. Chakra means wheel. And just like in English where you talk about somebody has nice wheels about their car or motorcycle, it can mean a machine also. And then in the nerve complexes in the human body are also called wheels. In the brain, the throat, the heart, the navel, and the genital although sometimes there's a few smaller ones in between. It's sort of basically going down the central channel, the vagus nerve, and those are also called neural wheels. And that's the structure of our inner sensitivity of the human inner biological robot. And those are called chakras.
0: Buddha, was he really alive?
1: Buddha means a being who has become completely awakened to the reality of the world and also knowing all the details of other beings, and empathetic to them all, therefore completely wise, like in a scientific definition of wisdom, of knowing reality, not just some, something else, but reality, what it really is happening, and completely compassionate, being empathetic to all the beings who suffer, and having maximum ability to try to help them cure their suffering, like a doctor. That's what is a Buddha, by definition. Uh, Vibuddha and Prabuddha, they, they gloss it in the ancient Sanskrit. And the Tibetans made a beautiful translation, Sangye. And the Sang refers to the awakening, and the Gye refers to expanding your awareness to encompass everyone else, to make them awake with you. That's what a Buddha is.
0: Zen, is yes. it a mood to have? A What's mood? Is it a mood to have?
1: So Zen is a is a Japanese pronunciation of the Chinese Chan, which is the Chinese pronunciation of the Sanskrit Dhyana, which means meditative focus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's when the mind is taken and focused on reality, and it, and it comes to a non-dual experience of that reality. Like when you really know something, you become what you know. Like a CAT scan or something. It completely immerses itself in the body, and then it gives a picture of the body. But the first immersion is the knowing of it. So you lose yourself in knowing something when you become one with the object. And that's what jhana means in the ancient Buddhist sciences of the mind. It became translated into Chinese as Chan, and then it became translated into Japanese as Zen. And then, in a way, it meant when it, when you hear sometimes Zen, people will say, "Well, we're not Buddhism." In a way, that's true because they are referring to people thinking of Buddhism as a religious denomination and a membership in a group, whereas Zen is a direct awareness connection to reality, which is a kind of enlightenment. And that's what they're aiming for, and that, not that they all have found it, but that's what they aim for, and uh, that's the meaning of the word. Karma. Karma is uh, Buddha's version of Darwinian evolution. And he took the word in the Indian culture before him, at his time, which was the word for a ritual action where you would make an offering through a priest who would then give this offering to the gods who would then bless you in some way or another. And in that era, there was no idea of final liberation or freedom from suffering. So you weren't even seeking that. You were just seeking improved status within like happy hunting ground after death or more success in life and so forth. And the the Vedic world had no idea of being liberated. You just fit into the machinery of the Of the tribe and uh, your karma was what you did in the ritual which is what made the gods bless you. And Buddha took it out of that ritual. He said the gods suck. They're not doing the right job and the best thing is how you treat other people and how you treat other people ethically and with kindness and helpfulness and lovingness or harshly and violently and so forth. That will determine what you become. If you're violent you'll become like a predator You'll become like a tiger or a crocodile or some kind of Mm -hmm. horrible, fierce animal that will just consume what's ever in front of it. If you're generous, you'll be more open and you'll be aware of other people and you'll be more feeling and it'll be good. And you control your evolution yourself. And it isn't just a material body because you have a subtle energy, which is your mind. And that will shape your evolutionary destiny as an individual and in relationship with all of your interconnected other beings, but it will shape your future. So that's your, how you evolve as an individual, life after life in a beginningless, not from a first nothing beginning, that's nonsense. If nothing is nothing, it will never begin anything, but end, beginninglessly and endlessly. And, and, and you will never really be quite happy as only feeling you're separate from everything else and you're caught in this great Niagara of life. And you'll become happy when you're awake to its reality as a Buddha. And you eventually will get sick of cycling around the wheel of, of suffering and you will become a Buddha, luckily. Wow. And there's infinite numbers of other Buddhas who are trying to help you right now do that. Really? Okay. All around, everywhere. Oh, yeah. There's all over the place. In the micro world, there's just tons of them. And every atom. And they, 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 these guys, the, the materialist physicists, are all stuck. Oh, yeah, we're only 3%. We can only see 3% of the universe. 97% is dark energy and dark matter. But gee whiz, we didn't see it yet. But it must be there or we wouldn't be here. I mean, come on, is that is that heart science or what? Is that mysticism or what is it? It's it's a hope springing eternal is what it is. <laughs>
0: We'll end up with nirvana. Nirvana.
1: So the great thing about nirvana is it's right here and now. And what it means, and I was so happy, in the Theravada tradition, there's something called Dighi the long discourses of the Buddha. And the long discourse of the Buddha on mindfulness, where he's leading the mendicants, monks and nuns, but mendicant monks and nuns, not ones being by themselves in the community, leading them through a meditation. And he comes to the final, there are four things you focus your mindfulness on. And one is on, on, uh, on your body, and the other one is on your sensations, and then on your mind, and finally on mental objects, objects in your mind, you know, like things you think about and imagine. And then in the, among the mental objects, when you're going through all four, he leads everybody through all four, he comes to what I call the four noble truths. But I call them the four friendly fun facts instead of noble truths, because I think that's more accessible for people. Okay. Friendly fun facts. And the first fun fact is, if you don't know what's going on, you'll suffer. The second, and that's a fun fact, because it means, well, I'm suffering, okay, so that's what happens when I don't know what's happening. Second one is, there's a reason that you don't know it, and you can understand that reason if you learn about it, and you study yourself, and you study the world. And then when you know that, you will not have to suffer. The prognosis is, so you can understand their disease dis ease your own discomfort of suffering and you can understand it and then when you do you'll be free of it prognosis is nirvana and then but that might take time and there's a curriculum and a path of mental verbal ethical and scientific and you have to follow that, you have to do that learning, you have to unlearn a lot of false cultures and you know things that imprison your mind and so on. And you have to free your mind. And then so then when you get to that in that sutra by Buddha's own words, he gives a long list of what things we normally think are pleasant and agreeable in life. And then he says, But unfortunately, that's suffering. Why? Because they don't last. And it's called suffering of change, even though they are present. They don't last. They're suffering of change because you want them to last. So then he does the the, the analysis. Then he does the comes to the uh, truth of nirvana. And then what's where's Then he says, you can be free of that suffering, and, and then you really are free of that suffering. And then he says, well, where is nirvana? He says. And then many people think it's sort of somewhere else. You know, you leave this world because it's just miserable, the world. you got to leave, you know. Many Buddhists even think that. And he lets them think that. But he doesn't quite say where else. Mm. But in this one, he really says it. And I love that. He gives the same list he gave in the suffering. Every pleasant and agreeable thing. It's exactly the same list. And then it's nirvana over here. And it's suffering over there. Why is it nirvana over here? And then he says... Because over here, you're not craving. So you don't care if it lasts or not. You give yourself to the pleasant and agreeable things. You just let them take you. Just go with them. You give them away as you receive them. And you don't crave more. And it's so psychologically right. When we have any kind of pleasure, we strangle it immediately by comparing it with, it could be better. It could be a different wife. It could be a different ice cream. It could be a different country. It could be a different me, et cetera, et cetera, And we completely strangle it, which is actually fine. It could be content. It could be a blessing. But no, we're craving more. So by going in there, we even interfere with our actual enjoying something that's enjoyable. Yeah. And nirvana is joie de vivre. Let it happen without demanding more and find the joy in anything and everything and that's and that we can do that that's our intelligence enables us to do that and then it, but but it might take a certain kind of education so then the then he ends with the curriculum of correcting the, the you know the completely idiot world you're like I'm gonna be nothing that's the way out that's the escape is nothing yeah. <laughs> which is ridiculous because it's not there right no way it can't be nothing or I'm going to go with somebody who's outside the world in some place. And, you know, it's all kind of nonsense. And so it said, just I'm going to be happy here and I'm going to do my best to help others do it, too. That's all there is.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Professor Thurman, okay. <laughs> for this private lesson. Well,
1: uh, Professor Emeritus. Emeritus, now yes. That's when you retired. You're called Emeritus.
0: Okay. Uh, Professor Emeritus okay. for uh, the joie de vivre. Okay. okay perfect. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Bob. Thank you my so much. Friend. This episode was a prelude to our milestone episode number 50 airing tomorrow where we'll have the privilege of hosting Bob Thurman for an in-depth conversation. His extraordinary life and unparalleled expertise will be at the heart of our discussion. Stay tuned for the interview where Bob Thurman shares his all but conventional life and deep insights with a great sense of humor. Until next time!